0: Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to two places. One is very familiar, if you've been here the first couple of weeks of 2019, and that is 2 Corinthians 3. We'll be looking at that verse one more time today, 2 Corinthians 3.18. But also I want you to turn to Galatians 5. Galatians chapter number 5. We're going to be there as well as we get into the message today. And uh, I hope that today is a help to us. All of us, um, as, as we've talked about the first couple of weeks, all of us have sought to make different kinds of changes in our life. Um, beginning of a year is always a good time to take evaluation of what needs to change, whether that's a new diet, oh man, those are always rough, um, whether that's changing a financial focus, making sure you get out of debt, save, so financial changes, physical changes. Um, Maybe it's a job change. Maybe here at the beginning of the year, you're uncertain about where you're going professionally, and so you're dealing with that. Um, isn't it true, too, that oftentimes, uh, not at the beginning of the year, but just kind of throughout life, we face relationship changes. And, and uh, people who were once our friend are no longer our friend, and then we meet new friends. And, and so we all go through these series of changes. And, but, but, of course, the main focus that we have here as we gather as, as the church is we're talking about the nature of spiritual change and why it's important in our life and why ultimately the spiritual changes in our life affect everything else about us. And there is no greater joy as your brother in Christ and as your pastor than when I see the spiritual lights come on and I see transformation in your life. Um, Yesterday we had a great leadership workshop from 9 to noon here at the church and just a great time talking with about 20 leaders in our church and, and talking about what transformation is all about and, and how we hope to see that as a reality in our church um, and, and, and how we really do see that lasting transformation that the Spirit is working in our life. Um, and so... Just for a couple of moments, I want to review. But before I do review, I want to give you a quick promo. Uh, I want to say this at this point because I might forget to say it in the next couple of weeks. And that is, I am excited about the first Sunday in uh, February when we'll be starting a new series entitled Believable, how Christianity is both rational and wonderful. This is going to be a wonderful study in how we defend our faith, Um, how we share the gospel in a culture that is um, very secular, uh, skeptical, atheist, agnostic. We're going to have several resources that we're going to make available during this series. And what I really pray is that throughout this series that we're starting in February, that you would know that this is a safe place to bring your friends who might be skeptical, who might be atheist, who might be agnostic, and that you would bring them to this series and if if they come just so you know if they do come we're going to have free resources that we're going to be giving to them that they can take so if someone is genuinely seeking and they want to know more about does God exist is Christianity really real um this series is going to be a great opportunity for you to invite them and hopefully in a very kind but also very truthful way they'll receive the truth of why we believe Christianity is both rational and wonderful. We also have something coming up in the middle of the series in the third weekend of March. Go ahead and mark it on your calendar. The third weekend of March we're having something called Believable Weekend. We're bringing in a guest speaker who's going to be coming alongside and saying some of the things, same things that I'll be saying, but um, we'll also be giving a, his, his unique spin. His name is Bob Inyert. He has a nationally syndicated radio show for the last 25 years. And he'll be presenting a lot of great truth that will help all of us to see that the Bible is actually true. It's the foundation of our faith. And I know that that will be a blessing to you. So make plans about that. I'm really uh, looking forward to that. I've read several books and, of course, studied the Word in preparation for this series. And you might wonder, what is that in the background? That's a picture of the total solar eclipse from last year. And I took that with my camera and my, and my very own telescope. And so I actually got to use my own picture in a sermon series. So there it is. And so we're we're, we're praying that through this series, many people would have an eclipse of their um, current understanding, that they would see God, that they would understand who He is, and that they would place their faith in Him. And so please be in prayer with me about that series. All right. Promo over. Let's continue our study and we'll do a quick review. Over the first two weeks, we've looked at recognizing our need for transformation. We talked about what that word transformation even means. We're not talking about outward conformity. We're talking about genuine, internal, life-giving change and how that spills over into every area of our life. And so we talked about that in the first week. We talked about how we really can't see transformation until we recognize that need. And And so we look to God because He's the one that produces the transformation in our life. Week two, last week, we looked at the source of transformation. And so we said that the gospel is the source of true and lasting transformation in the believer's life. And and we said that the gospel is a message. It's a message of who God is, what God has done, and what God is doing. The gospel is a person. It's this person loves us. This person lives inside of us. And this person empowers us. To see that change that he's already working in us. And then we said that the gospel is powerful. And so the gospel is powerful to change the heart. You see, Christianity's message is not try really hard to change and God might love you. It's not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is God loves you. And when you believe it, you start to change. <laughs> it's incredible. And it's like you start realizing I'm changing and I'm not even trying. I'm just trusting deeper in the person and the work of Christ. So that's where the, the work is, if you could say it's work. It's the work of faith, it's believing God that these things are true, that the gospel is really that good and that it's really that great and it has the power. Listen, if Jesus, if the Spirit rose Jesus from the dead, it says that that spirit lives inside of you. How great is our capacity and ability to see change because it's God doing the work. And so this is what we've talked about these first two weeks. Go back and listen to those messages. I guarantee you they will help you and uh, hopefully point you. And, and, and that's our whole goal. I was, I was telling somebody this week, I do a lot of discipleship counseling throughout the week. And by the way, if, if you're in need of discipleship counseling, either one-on-one or as a couple please let us know as a staff, we will connect you with a gospel counselor who will point you to the word. And here's what I say to all the folks that I counsel. And if I counsel you, you know this. I've, said you to this. I've said this to you at least once or twice. My goal is not to fix you. I can't fix you. My goal is simply to get you to fix your eyes on Jesus and then watch how he changes. And so I can't fix anybody. You can't fix anybody. You've tried that with your spouse. The more you try to change them, the worse it gets. And so the goal is, is to get your spouse to focus on Jesus and then, wow, do you know the greatest marriage counseling in all the world? Get completely stirred up in your affection for Jesus and see how that makes you a better husband or a better wife or a better parent. It's it's incredible. It changes. And so anyway, um, so this is what we've looked at these first two weeks. I hope that this will help. Uh, And then today, uh, rediscovering the process of transformation. Because here's what we know. We know that the change in our life is not something that is immediate. Well, there's one aspect that's immediate, but there is this progressive nature of the Christian life. And that's just the reality because we are learning what it means to step into the promised land and to take by faith everything that God has promised for us. And so what we're going to do today is focus in on what this process looks like. And and so with that thought in mind, let's read our key text for this series. It says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed. And you might want to underline that verb, are changed, in your Bible. It is in the present tense, which means that this is an ongoing reality. This is an ongoing process. And so we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so, as we talked about last week, the gospel is a message, the gospel is a person, and we uh, highlighted this verse again and said, listen, it's the person of Jesus, it's, it's His Spirit that's living inside of us, and we are changed by this. But what does that process look like? And so, this is a continual thing, and, and, and we're going to see that today in our in our, in our study. There's another verse a couple of chapters later in 2 Corinthians. It says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. So, here's, so here's, here's, here's both the immediacy of what happens when we get saved and then the ongoing nature of this transformation. So when you trust Christ, you become a new creature, a new creation. And then it says, old things are passed away. Behold, All things are becoming or are become new. And so there is this process of transformation in our lives. And so with that said, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5 because you're going to see what this process looks like. You're going to see that, yes, there's this immediate reality of what God has done for us in the gospel. And when by faith we believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior... He not only is our Savior, but then He is our Shaper. He starts to shape us. He starts to chisel away the things that used to dominate and define our life because we've got a new destiny and a new definition in Him. We have a new direction in Him. And so Christ becomes that compass. He he becomes that North Star. He becomes that driving motivator. And, And so it's His love that changes us. And so what we see is we see that we are not only saved by the gospel, but we're then shaped by the gospel. And it's this gospel shaping that we're talking about today. It's, this, it's what does this process look like? Because we all know that we need, there's things in our life that we see, there's these old holdover fleshly patterns that we hate. And do you know why you hate them? Because when you got saved, you got a new wanter. You got the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God, whenever we do something in the flesh, it's like the Spirit of God groans and grieves. How many of you would just be honest here in in this group? We're all friends. We're all family. How many of you would say, you know what? There's some things I do in my life, and when I do them, I hate it. I hate it. I do. Man, why can't I keep my patience on the road when I'm driving behind little granny I'm late to work why can't I keep my patience or why do I keep going back to that website why do I keep going to that chat room why do I keep pulling out that credit card and ordering more stuff as if that stuff it's going to make me happier why do i keep having that distance in that relationship with that family member and, and it seems like whenever we get together we rub each other wrong why can i not get along with my coworkers and you see the, so all this connects it's life is it's 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 full of paradoxes because life is simple in one way but it's also complex With lots of layers. And so I hope that uh, today, as we study, you'll see both the simplicity of, of how this process works, but you'll also see how it speaks to the complexity of our life and how we apply it. And so, kind of two areas of the message today. Number one, we're gonna look at the growth of this spiritual life itself within each of our lives individually, but then we're going to look at, okay, we see this spiritual process of transformation defined in Galatians 5, but then we're going to say, okay, how are we as a church approaching this process? Because the greatest joy of gathering as a body of believers is to see this transformational process happening in our lives. And so we as a church have thought long and hard about, okay, we don't create the change. We don't, you know, make the process happen. But we are called to manage the environments where that change can happen. Where is Jimmy Dutton? Hey, Jimmy, Jimmy grows some amazing tomatoes, right, Jimmy? He's got a gar- He and Linda got a garden. He's like, I, well, I'm not going to brag. But listen, this guy knows how to grow stuff. Now, I'm going to tell you, Jimmy doesn't grow he doesn't cause the tomatoes to grow. All he does is plant the seeds, make sure the soil is right, waters the ground, make sure that those mater plants are in the right place where they're going to get enough sunlight. And then as they start to grow, those, those little t- tender tomato plants, he, he ties them off on that cage or that trellis, and then they start to grow. All a gardener does, and I ain't a gardener, that's why I had to point out Jimmy and Linda, because I know how to do it. But All a gardener does, a gardener doesn't cause the growth to happen. A gardener just manages the environment in which the growth is going to occur. And for us as a church, we're spiritual gardeners. That's what God's called us to do. All we can do is, because we know it's God that's the source of the spiritual life and the growth and the vitality and the thriving. And all we can do as best as we can is to try to manage those environments so I'm excited to share this with you today. Let's look at Galatians chapter number 5, and we'll read this passage together. It says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So stop. Verses 16 and 17 basically tell us that when we get saved, there's a UFC fight going on inside of our <laughs> life, Right? There's the, and and praise the Lord that we now have a fight. And the good news is we got the upper hand because the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You've got resurrection power living inside of you. And so there is this fight going on. There's this war. And so Paul acknowledges that. He says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit lusteth, or the Spirit uh, has strong desires against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would and so Paul says, because you're in Christ, there's a part of you that wants to do right, but there's also this part of you that still wants to do wrong, which is greater. The greater is the Spirit, so we must renew our minds to that. Romans 6 talks a lot about that. You might want to write that chapter down. Go back and study it because that's oh, it's so... Man, I wish I had time to park there, but let's keep reading. But if ye be led of the Spirit... You're not under the law. Paul says, you don't need a list of 613 rules to keep your life in in step and to keep you behaving. If you've got the Spirit, you've got all you need. And you know what? You're going to keep all the laws that are important anyway, especially the moral laws. You know, the dietary and ceremonial stuff, that was all for Israel. But as far as these timeless laws of not killing people, I mean, do you think that if you're full of the Spirit, you're going to kill people? No, and you're certainly not going to hate them in your heart either. Because, see, that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 7. He was uh, raising the standard of what the law really was. And so, if you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife. I think they should put their strife, comma, social media, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we see that list and we can all identify with that list because whether we've done some of those things in action or in attitude of the heart, we all know that list well. But look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control, temperance. Against such there is no law. Back to that illustration of growing the tomato plants. Tomato plants don't need 10, 12, 613 laws to make them grow. If you put a tomato plant in the right soil, with the right water, with the right amount of sun, they just grow. you Manage those environments. When we realize what the fruit of the Spirit is, when we realize what walking in the Spirit is, when we see what Paul is comparing and contrasting here, We see four truths about spiritual growth, kind of the process of growth. And so in your notes, write these four down. This is kind of the main area where you're going to write some things down this morning. And I think that these four truths about the process of change, spiritual change in your life, will both help us, encourage us, give us understanding to what this process looks like and how we can see this take shape. In our life. And so, if we want to understand the nature of true change in this process, we have to understand it if we're going to experience it. Many things implied about the nature of spiritual change are found within this phrase look at it up on the screen the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Isn't it interesting the picture that Paul gives of spiritual growth and spiritual transformation? He refers to agriculture. And he does that because we all, on some level, understand an agricultural illustration. And so as we go, we'll see this. So what are the things, what are the truths that we need to see about change here? What does this process of, of transformation, spiritual transformation, look like for an individual Christian life? Number one, we see that this change or this transformation is gradual. Write that down. Gradual. Gradual. Why does Paul use the word fruit here rather than another metaphor? He purposefully is using a metaphor of botanical growth, not mechanical growth. Botanical growth, not, me- not mechanical growth. If you remember way back in the first message we talked about, we talked about the difference between conformity and transformation. And we said, what kind of growth are we going after? Are we going after a machine shop kind of growth where you're just stamping out metal? You know, that, that would be an example of mechanical growth. Or are we going for botanical growth, organic growth, a greenhouse? See, what we see here in this phrase, the fruit of the Spirit, is we see, number one, that this spiritual fruit is a gradual process. Christian change is as gradual as the growth of fruit. And you can know that growth is happening over time, but what is sometimes challenging is, is you cannot necessarily see the growth happening the very next day. For instance, when Jimmy goes and plants that tomato seed... He doesn't go out the very next morning and says, where's my red ripe tomatoes at? No, we all understand that growth is a process. Um, We all uh, uh, see those cousins and those uh, family members every year at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And we say, what do we say? We say, my, you've grown. Well, their mom and dad who've lived with them every day haven't necessarily noticed that change like you notice it because you see them just once a year. And so the first truth we have to remember about this nature of this process is that number 1 it is gradual. We can't see it immediately in one instant of time, but but growth happens in small gradual steps. Now, it can also happen in spurts. It's so amazing to see those growth spurts. But isn't it cool? How many of you have seen those uh, parents who take a picture of their child every day and then they put together that video on on Facebook? And like this one lady, took one every single day until her daughter graduated. So incredible to see that transformation. My question is, is what would a time lapse of our spiritual life look like? I think it would be this ever-increasing glory. I hope we can say that, that. There would be this gradual blossoming of our spiritual life as we grow. And so as you think about a time lapse of your life, what would a time lapse of your life look like spiritually? Would it, would it look like slow thriving growth or would it look like some of those other time lapse videos we've seen uh, where they take the food and they watch it decay over time? Hopefully we can say that we'd be growing over time, right? And So there's this gradual nature of it. So, so what's, what's the application here? If it's gradual, then isn't it true that we need to be patient in that process? Not only in our own lives, but certainly in the lives of others. I'm, I'm certain that Jimmy doesn't go out into his garden every day and say, grow tomato plant. Come on, get with it. That'd be really weird. <laughs> That'd be really odd. We don't tell our kids, grow another inch. Come on, get with it. We don't, we don't do that. Sorry a little loud. We don't, we, don't, we don't do that, do we? No. But we know that if we have them in the right environment, if they're, we, we know that they're going to grow, right? And so there's these seasons of growth, and we go through these seasons of growth. So growth is gradual. Growth is not something you necessarily feel or that can be measured all at once. You may be growing, but you might not, might not even know it until you go through a testing time, and then you're able to look back and say, oh, wow, I just went through that time of testing completely different than what I would have gone through, you know, five years ago. So number one, we see that growth is gradual. In this phrase, the fruit of the Spirit, we see number one about this process of change that growth is gradual. Number two, we see that this growth or this change is internal. This transformation is, is internal. So write that down. What is the fruit of the Spirit Well, Paul lists it here, and notice what it's not. It's not a listing of our talents or our actions on the outside, but it's internal realities. What is fruit? Fruit is the nature of something, of what it is on the inside, and it's sweet and life-giving to the taste and to the nourishment. And so, number two, this, this process is both gradual, but number two, this process is internal, And so it's not the externals of singing, intelligence, IQ, charisma, gifts, or talents. But it's internal, and and it's not mechanical, but it's organic growth. Um, If you keep throwing bricks into a pile, that pile will continue to grow, but it's not organic growth. That's mechanical growth, as we've just said. This pile is growing, yes, but it's only growing in quantity, it's not growing in quality and complexity. And, and so I think sometimes in the Christian life, the focus gets so much on the externals that we forget that without the internal motivation, the externals don't matter. I've, I've said it like this in recent weeks without the heart to, the how to doesn't matter. But how much of Christianity is focused on the how to? I mean, when you walk into a Christian bookstore, and I, and I have nothing against Christian bookstores, by the way. I love them. But do you know what most of the books on the shelf are about in Christian bookstores? Here's the next flashy how-to. And they've sold a million copies. And if you follow these how-tos, it's going to help you. Do you see the di- I mean, where's the books that get me focused on the heart and stirring my affections for Jesus because if I really see His love for me, you know, we love Him because He first loved us, so if I really see His love for me, then that love is going to compel me to want to change and, yeah, then then give me some how-tos, but the how-tos aren't the main thing. See, the change is internal. There's this inward motivation, and we talked about this yesterday in our workshop. There's this inward motivation, and so how do we, as a ministry, see this kind of change where it starts on the inside. And, and we know that the nature of that seed, what's going to come out of that seed is going to be what was in that. And, and, and so when Jimmy plants a tomato, he's not expecting it to get apples. He knows what he's going to get. And you know what? When you have the seed of the gospel, the seed of the spirit planted in your life, it's going to grow. It's going to blossom And so the question is, is how do we encourage that growth? We encourage it by our belief. We encourage it by understanding what God has planted inside of us. There's this internal reality. Many of us are familiar with church history. We know the names Martin Luther and John Wesley. They were both very religious at first. They were both very focused on outward mechanical acts of their religion they had mechanical growth. John Wesley and Martin Luther, if you study their lives before they came to know Christ, they were very active in doing good things. They wrote commentaries on the Bible, they fed the poor, they shared their faith. They were growing their record and their resume of outward righteousness and moral living. But they weren't growing themselves internally, they weren't growing. There wasn't genuine growth. How do I know that? And, and how do we see this in Christianity? How many of we know of very moral people who are still harsh, rude, uncaring, lacking compassion? I mean, look, look at the fruit. The fruit is love. Man, you could stop right there and preach for several weeks. How many of us know of people who are very outwardly religious but they are at odds with their brothers and sisters in Christ? Love doesn't characterize their demeanor when you see them. How about the second one? Joy. How many of you you would raise your hand and say probably one of the biggest problems in Christianity is a world that sees joyless Christianity? One of the worst Things that works against our witness is people who look miserable. We get more excited over a a football team winning a championship than we do over the fact that we have been born again. We are on our way to heaven. We win. Oh, my soul, folks, do we see this? And so there's these internal realities that just, oh, they start to bubble over. And then what happens? Here's what's cool. You know what kind of fruit a tree is growing when you shake the tree and the fruit falls off. So this week when our tree gets shaken, when we get that difficult situation on the job site with the employer who's being a jerk, Or we get that difficult situation in our home life when our spouse comes home and they're totally focused on themselves again on Thursday or Friday night. They never spend time with us except when they want something or need something. Then how do we, when our lives get shaken, what fruit falls off? See, that's kind of the test of whether we've been... You see, Satan's completely happy with us with fake fruit. How many of you have ever been snookered into buying one of those Chinese knockoffs? Raise your hand. Anybody ever bought a Chinese knockoff, maybe a coach purse? Back in the day, for me, it was the Oakley sunglasses. How many of you remember those fake knockoff Oakley sunglasses? I'm like, man, I'm getting a good deal. Fifteen bucks for a pair of Oakley's? Found out they were fake. Anyway, we all know about the knockoffs. And Satan is completely okay. Hey, he appears as an angel of light. He is okay for you to think that you're a fruitful, you know, uh, growing Christian. You've got all, look at all these things you're doing. But when your life gets shaken, it tells us what the fruit, the nature of the fruit really is. Love, joy, peace. And see, some of us can say, oh, well, I've got peace. I'm peaceful, pastor. I'm peaceful, but do we realize that that peace could be a false peace? Because if peace is not connected, and we're about to talk about this third, third, third truth, and that is this, this change is symmetrical. What does that mean? See, peace isn't true spiritual peace unless it's also connected to all these other fruit. Because notice it says, but the fruit of the Spirit. That word fruit is singular. It's not plural. So notice the language here. Paul actually makes a grammatical Purposeful error. How many of you are English, English uh, peeps, right? right? We have our English peeps. If you were to read this in the, in, in the original language, you would see that what Paul does is he purposefully makes a grammatical error here to highlight something. So he says the fruit of the Spirit is, not are, is. What is he saying? He's taking the subject, which is singular, fruit, But the predicate is plural. Why? Paul is trying to show something incredibly important about the process of real Christian change and real fruit. What he's saying is, is this fruit is one. It's one. So it's not like your tree has love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, all these different fruit. No, it's one fruit. And the reality is, is when you're walking in the Spirit, all of these singular fruit, this fruit, is going to be evidenced in your life. And so look at the list. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Look at that list. For instance, temperance. That means self-control. Do we realize that sometimes our self-control can be motivated... Not based on the need of what it does for God, but what it does for us. Do, do, do we realize that a lot of self-control is, 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 is basically just motivated by pride? Um, the illustration that I grew up hearing was, boys don't cry, they get control of their emotions because they're not girls. How many of you are ever told that? Do we realize that that motivation for control over our emotions is rooted in a superiority belief of men that they're better than women and so they should be able to control their emotions? Do you see how subtle that is? Oh, well, I've got self-control because... But, but, but is it rooted in genuine love, joy? I've met, as I've told you, I've met so many people who are, who are so right outwardly, but they're joyless, they're hateful, they're spiteful. I've met people who are peaceful, but they're peaceful because they're apathetic. They just don't care. I mean, a lot of people, oh, I'm, I'm okay. But they have no mercy and they have no love. I mean, I mean well, like this morning, when we hear about these babies who have lost their life, we say, well, you know, what can we do? You know, I'm at peace. God's in, God's in control. Well, but God's also put us here to do something about it. And so we see this, this, this balance here of love, joy, peace. Oh, I wish I could spend more time there. But, but, but this fruit is symmetrical. Just one more more illustration. Some are very gentle, but they're not faithful. Look at the word gentleness there. What do I mean by that? Well, when you take gentleness and faith together, what is faith? It's, it's, It's loyalty, it's courage. But do we realize that some of us, especially in the South, we're just temperamental sweethearts? We're just naturally gentle to everybody we see. And what happens is, is we become gentle to a fault, and we're not also courageous and loving to tell people the truth of what they need to hear. And so gentleness can actually be not rooted in spiritual gentleness, but it's just something natural to, to who we are. And so this is what you spend the rest of your life unpacking as you see this, and you're like, okay, wow, all this fruit is one. So when I'm walking in the Spirit, there's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And they're all there at the same exact time. It's not like I have one over the other. They're all, bam, right there. And so this process of change is is, um, gradual. It's internal. It's symmetrical. And then finally, this transformation is inevitable. Notice that Paul says here, the fruit of the Spirit. What kind of fruit is it? It is the fruit of the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God in you, there will be fruit. Now, it might take a long time. Everybody grows at a different pace. But in the end, inevitably, there will be fruit. Over time, you will see this fruit be evident in your life. Um, G. Campbell Morgan, a famous pastor years ago, he was in an Italian graveyard, and, and he saw this slab marble grave marker, and evidently, 10, 20, 30 years ago, there was an acorn that was buried underneath that slab marble. That little acorn, you know, we're talking about that big, that little acorn had so much power within it that it cracked that marble slab grave marker that it was laid on top of. If that little acorn has that kind of power in it for growth and transformation, imagine the spirit power living inside of us. And what's so cool about that little acorn is that little acorn goes from a little acorn seed to a little sapling to a more mature tree. And then one day, that's a big old oak tree, and it's dropping more acorns. At no point in the growth of that little acorn seed did it become more oaky. It was already an oak tree inside of that little acorn. But as the process of change happened in that little seed, it had the power to break marble stone. In our lives, we might feel like we've got some marble slabs laying on top of our life. Things weighing us down. But by faith, God has called us to renew our minds. Paul says... Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing our minds to who God is, to what the gospel is, and to see that this process is is a reality and it will happen as we follow Him by faith. And so 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, as we go back there, 2 Corinthians three eighteen. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed to the same image from glory to glory. And so, as we think about this process of gradual, internal, symmetrical, inevitable fruit and growth, transformation in our lives individually, I just want to share with you briefly what does this process of transformation look like in our church. This happens in our life. It's a gradual, internal, symmetrical, inevitable process as we focus on Christ, as we manage the environment, as we look at Christ. But, but for a church, how have we sought to put this down on paper? And, and so, as you know, our, our mission simply then as a church is to place people in the pathway of God's transforming power. That's what it's all about. As we've been studying 2 Corinthians 3, we see that Moses was up on the mountain, Moses didn't cause his face to shine. He was simply in the right place for God to transform him. Moses didn't do the transforming, but Moses' responsibility was to simply place himself in the right place to be transformed by God. He discovered the place where God would move in his life, and he put himself there. And so what God has called us as a church to do is the same thing, to to place people in the pathway of God's transforming power. Just like when Jimmy plants that tomato seed, he makes sure he plants it where he knows the sun is going to go across that ground every day. And so for us as a church, all that we can do is manage those environments. And so God has called us as a church to make more and better disciples of Jesus through the power, there it is, the power of His saving and transforming grace. God wants to shape our church in such a way that we see more sheep brought into His sheepfold. He also wants to shape our church in such a way that those sheep then flourish and grow in understanding who God has made them to be. Because as they understand God's affection for them, can't be helped, their affection for God is going to be stirred. You see, love not the world. And that's where we focus because, ah, oh, love not. But if any man loves God, the love of the world will not be in him. You see it? The power of a greater affection. And that's where our focus is as a church. Every week we come together to say, Look at how great God is. Look at how good the good news is. And look at what God has done for us in the gospel. And yes, we are able then to finally say, You know what? Here's what I'm facing, and here's where I need the gospel right now to speak to this situation. And so it's God's gospel that saves us, but it's His gospel that transforms us. And so God has called us to build up lives and to root people in the truth of who He is and what he has done, and what he is doing. And so with that mission, mission statement, that's our why. We exist so that people will be both saved and transformed by the gospel of grace. And then out of that comes our how, our vision process. And how we hope to do that is it starts with you receiving God's grace and in in trusting him as your savior but then, honestly, we never stop needing to receive every day. Just as that tomato seed in the ground needs to receive daily that light from the sun, we, we come every week to receive the grace that we need for in that moment and in that hour to be reminded of His grace that we have received and how His grace has transformed us at the core of our being. And so we receive this grace, and then we grow deeper and understanding that grace and how it applies to our life. And this is where... And so, and so we come together on a Sunday morning to receive. Then we go into growth groups to grow together. To encourage one-on-one relationship. Discipling. Encouraging growth. Praying for one another. And then to serve. Because the whole point of watching that tomato plant or that tree grow... Is one day that tree or that plant reaches maturity, and what is it doing? It's reproducing itself. How can you tell where that true, true life and vitality is? It's it's seen in fruit, begetting more fruit. Life, begetting life. And so this is our process. This is our process for what we hope to see. We hope to see hundreds, yea, thousands. We. Just whoever God has for us. We're like, God, we want more people to receive your grace. We want more people to grow in their understanding of what they've just gotten because it's like, wow, you place resurrection power inside of us. And then we begin to renew our minds to what you've already done and what you're doing. And so we see this growth start to happen. And you know what? It's kind of like a tree. You don't go out and hear a tree groaning to grow. Oh, I hope I produce apples. You don't hear that. They just naturally do because that's what a tree does. And so as we root ourselves in understanding our identity in Christ, as we root ourselves in understanding the depths of the beauty of this gospel, uh, you see, the Holy Spirit's job is always pointing to Jesus and saying, look at how beautiful he is. Look at how wonderful he is. And and when you spend time in his presence, you can't help but glow. And here's the good news. you got a greater type of reality than Moses had. Moses was was only up on the mountain for 40 days. and, And when he came off the mountain, the glory faded. But we have the glory, the Spirit living in us. Wow. And so this motivates us to serve, to get involved, to make a difference where we can for God's glory. And so, churches that are seeing transformational growth have chosen to set their focus here. They have discovered and majored on a ministry process that puts people in the place for God to transform them. This ministry process is not where the power lies. Only the power lies with God and in the transforming power of his gospel. However, God has designed spiritual growth to be this process. And it is to To occur with ever-increasing glory. And so I'm excited. (laughs) I I was telling somebody the other day, I've never been more excited. And and I'm going to ask Scott and Emma, if you'd come back up and sing that song again, if you'd be willing. It'd be great as we have a moment to respond and reflect on what we've heard. I was talking to somebody this week, I was actually another pastor, a friend of mine, and saying, you know, he was asking me how I was doing. I was like, you know, I'm doing good. I really am i've never been more excited about the capacity and the potential of what god has in this truth of the gospel Uh, the gospel is not something you get over if it is then we're like ephesus we know all the stuff but we've left our first love the gospel is something you just grow deeper into and you keep coming back to and you're like, oh wow, the gospel is not only the source of my salvation, but it's the source of my transformation. And so, as I think, and so as we think about this process, do you see this process occurring in your life as you set your mind, as you renew your mind to the truth of the gospel? Are you seeing that gradual growth? Is this growth motivated from this internal work that the Spirit of God is doing in you? Is this growth truly genuine in the fact that it's symmetrical? You know, uh, as you're walking in the Spirit, you see all this fruit present at the same time. And is it inevitable? Well, of course it is. If we know Christ, He is at work doing that work in our life. He is at work producing that growth.